This is what I'm strong in. This is what I'm qualified in. This is what I can do. I'm owning it. Welcome to The Found Podcast with Molly Knuth, a podcast for women who are founding and getting found with their businesses online. I'm your host, Molly Knuth, and my mission is to help women rewrite how we live and work on our own terms. We want to grow families, impact others for the better, and be a positive force in our communities. But we also want to have a fulfilling life, you know? In the past six years, I've gone from being a stay-at-home mom to a freelance social media marketer to a hashtag boss babe, managing client needs, talented team members, and my husband and four kiddos on our little farm here in Eastern Iowa. And what I've learned in that time is that it's not just about going full force or any one-size-fits-all strategy for a business owner. It takes you leaning into your unique gifts, intuition, and goals, and learning who you are as a person along the way to founding this business. So come along for lessons and stories from female founders growing and scaling their businesses through energetics, tried and true tactics, and high vibe personal growth. Be ready to get found. Well, hey there, listener. Welcome to The Found Podcast with Molly Knuth. Today, if you're listening in real time, is our very first episode of the month of February. And In 2024, each month at the Found Podcast is going to revolve around a common theme or topic. Last month, January, was all about habits. And so we had an episode that spoke to the power of habits. We had a guest coaching call talking about building the habit of marketing on a new platform. Our MKM book club selection was Badass Habits by Jen Sincero. And overall, it just helped us really as personal and professional development lovers, I don't know another way to say that, in the entrepreneurial space. It really helped us orient our thoughts and kind of help us go forward with one thing to keep top of mind. This month, February, our conversation is going to revolve around belief, particularly self-belief. Now, synonyms to this could be self-confidence, courage, or bravery. But overall, our intention for this month, the month of February, or whenever you're listening to this at some point in the future, is to really build our confidence. We want to really flex that muscle, give it a little bit of progressive overload over the course of the month so that we feel like we are equipped and we are brave enough to move forward because we believe in our inner guide, we believe in our intuition, and that we have everything we need to take the next step. Now, the thing with belief that I think you'll really hear as we go forward in the month, particularly with this month's guest interview, what I really think that you'll start to see, or I hope you start to see, is that this idea of self-belief doesn't mean you have all of the answers. It doesn't mean you're 100% ready It means that you just have enough to trust yourself that you can go forward. So in today's conversation, I'm going to pull together some data and some information from a variety of sources that really talk about how this concept of belief is something that hinders a lot of women in particular, and especially women in the business realm, because we have this this concept that we just don't always have enough of what it takes. We don't believe that we are prepared or that we have the courage to step forward because we just feel like we're not quite ready. 
And I don't know about you, but that has really come come around full circle for me a lot. Um, it's this idea of imposter syndrome. Have you guys heard of that before? In the show notes, I have some links to various resources and articles that you can read up on to uh, get a little bit more information about this. But in an article in Entrepreneur back in the summer of 2023 entitled Imposter Syndrome Predominantly Affects Women, Here's How We Can Overcome It, it cited that at some point, an estimated 70% of people feel like imposters. But for women, the burden is even heavier to bear. An internal study at Hewlett-Packard, for instance, HP, reportedly found that men apply to jobs when they only meet about 60% of the qualifications. So they take that step. If they feel like they're even 60% or just a little bit over halfway ready, halfway qualified, halfway experienced, halfway can do the job that's listed. But women tend to apply only if they meet 100% of the qualifications. I remember hearing this back when it was first reported and I was like, that is not shocking at all. It really drives home a particular perspective that I don't entirely love, but it doesn't shock me a bit because I know for myself and my behaviors, my trends of action, I really count myself out of a lot of things. If I don't feel like I'm experienced enough, then I talk myself out of it. And I know that there's a lot of times when I'm like, I'm just going to hang out a little bit longer until I'm quote unquote ready. And, you know, when, when does that ready or that maybe sometimes we phrase it as enoughness, when does that ever truly kick in? When do we ever reach that threshold? When do we ever get that gold medal that says, yes, I did reach all the qualifications and now I am enough. Now I am ready. Now I am qualified. The truth is we don't ever get that. We just have to take a step. And that imposter syndrome, that feeling like maybe we just don't have enough of what it takes, that feeling that can become limiting or even debilitating, it really does hold us back. And in that same article from Entrepreneur that I quoted just a little bit ago, a different poll, a 2020 poll of 750 high-performing executive women at just below C-suite level from various industries found that 75% of women that they polled had experienced imposter syndrome at some point in their careers. And often that imposter syndrome was an internal experience where they felt like they were either intellectually or professionally inadequate, which resulted in self-doubt, anxiety, fear, and this overall feeling and thought process that had them thinking that they were a fraud and that someone was going to find out that they weren't qualified enough or that they weren't equipped and they were going to call them out and put them back down. I don't know. But that study really stuck out. 750 high-performing executive women, three-fourths of them, three out of every four had experienced that imposter syndrome, that crippling self-doubt that kept them held back because of their own devices. Nobody told them that they weren't qualified. They told themselves they were qualified and therefore held themselves back. And I know personally, story time, um, 
But like, even as somebody who's not in a corporate setting, as somebody who is her own boss, I hold myself back all the damn time. Imposter syndrome isn't reserved to corporate workplace settings. For example, as I'm recording this, we are still in the month of January. We're very quickly going to be in February, but this month I am sending out my contract reviews. So once a year, I will go through my pricing and my packaging here at MKM and I will look at the numbers, look at how much I'm working, kind of run a quick little case study, run a quick little market analysis and make sure that my prices are fair. And a lot of times, especially with recent years with like um, my experience really going up and inflation cost of services going up, it's resulted in price increases. So I was reviewing those numbers and preparing contract updates and I froze. I like truthfully haven't sent them out because I get so in my own head about what these numbers mean. And then I really start thinking like, am I worth that? Do I deserve to be charged that? Will people judge me and say, why the hell would she charge me that amount for the amount of work she's doing or the type of work she's doing? And I just get so caught up in my own feelings about, am I enough to justify this? And then in past years, it always, every single year has resulted in me going back to the numbers, editing them one more time down before sending them out because I felt too guilty, too inexperienced, too not enough to bill at the rate that I initially want to. And this isn't because somebody came to me on my client roster and said, hey, you don't deserve this. It's because I counted myself out. I held myself back. I didn't believe that I could bill at that rate. And so a lot of the imposter syndrome things pop up for people in the small business and entrepreneur space as well, especially as we're still feeling out our identities as self-employed people. And it plays out not just in pricing and packaging, but it can really play out in the kind of clients that we go for or the types of services that we offer or the rooms that we put ourselves in at conferences or events. And we hold ourselves back, prevent ourselves from trying new things and new opportunities because we don't believe in ourselves for some reason or another. And in another article that I have linked in the show notes that you guys can read, um, it's an article from Liz Cat, or maybe Liz, Liz Cashin, I'm sorry if I butchered that, um, from LinkedIn, but it's called The Four P's of Imposter Syndrome and How They Impact Women as Leaders. And so maybe as I read through these, you might hear this in yourself, but I'll stop and I'll share a few stories of my own too, because I think these four P's really are prevalent. That's a fifth P in how we interact as women in business, whether self-employed, uh, entrepreneurial, in a corporate setting, what have you. So the first P of people pleasing in this article, or sorry, the first P of imposter syndrome in this article is people pleasing. This is the constant need for approval, which can hinder authentic expression and stifle individuality. Now, as I talked about a little bit ago, when I send out my new packages and prices, I feel like I'm crippled by this people-pleasing feeling. 
And it's not even that I am sitting across the table from somebody talking about this. It's like I get in my own head about how I can please people before I even have the conversation. And then I like hold myself back in one way or another. But people pleasing isn't just reserved for the workplace. People pleasing can happen even in your personal scenarios. Like how often have we caught ourselves in conversation um, in community groups at the bar if you're in a small town and you're talking to someone and you're just kind of going along with what is happening in the conversation. Um, Maybe you find yourself agreeing with things that other people agree with or disagreeing with things other people disagree with because you're like, it's just easier to go along with it and not like not really stir the waters, not stir the pot, not shake the boat. My idioms there are wrong, but we're going to keep moving. So people-pleasing is the first kind of symptom of imposter syndrome, where we don't authentically represent ourselves. We really just go with the flow for fear of ruffling feathers. The second P of imposter syndrome, perfectionism. Striving for perfection, as she says in this article, can create a fear of failure, preventing women leaders from taking risks and embracing growth opportunities. So sometimes we hold ourselves back. We don't believe in ourselves because we are too worried not to get it right. And we'd rather not do it at all than do it quote unquote wrong. And this perfectionism shows up a lot when I work with clients, especially those clients that I work with in a consulting fashion or in my classes. So often they'll be like, how do I correctly write this social media caption? How do I create the best Canva graphic? And their fear of doing it wrong prevents them from doing anything at all. And when we don't do anything at all to market our business, we're holding ourselves back. We're preventing ourselves from serving our ideal clients and customers. And we're holding our business growth to a flat line because we are just too scared that we're going to screw something up. And shouldn't be a shocker, but in the creative spaces like marketing, there's no way you can screw it up. Like it's all just a game of guess and check, try and tweak and fix it. So perfectionism can really hold us back and make us feel like imposters because we get so caught up in waiting for everything to be just right, just so, just perfect, that we don't move anywhere at all and we stay stuck where we are. So that is one sign of imposter syndrome or disbelief in ourselves. The third P of imposter syndrome, paralysis, overcoming the fear of making mistakes. This goes right in hand with perfectionism in my mind. Overcoming the fear of making mistakes is crucial for professional development, she says in her article. Paralysis can hinder progress and limit innovation. And I find, like I said, I think this and perfectionism can go hand in hand. So I'm going to move along to the last P of imposter syndrome, which is procrastination. And procrastination and I are friends, not good friends, more like frenemies because it pops up in my life a lot. I don't necessarily like it, but it's something that I find myself doing time and again because I just think that problems might work themselves out. And like if I... I don't necessarily trust myself in one way or another. I'm like, oh, it'll just resolve over time. And then I avoid it. And then it inevitably doesn't resolve. And then I have to do something about it. But my belief that I can't find the right answer makes me push it off, which makes it become a bigger issue down the road. As Cashin says in her article, delaying action on ideas or projects may stem from a fear of not measuring up 
Therefore, it holds us back in our potential achievements. So I don't know if you can identify with this as a business owner or a founder on the other side of the mic, but I have so often held off and said, well, I'm going to do that task next week, or I'm going to try that program next quarter. And then ultimately, I'm like, oh, I wish I would have just done it right away when I had the idea. But when we delay action on ideas or projects or tough conversations or addressing the big problem in front of us for the like shiny object over to the right that can distract us, we don't ultimately solve anything. We just kick the can down the road. Much like me holding off on sending out my contracts and pricing because I'm nervous about them. I'm like, oh, I'll just do it next week. And they don't send themselves, right? I still have to address it and get those sent out. But I'm just so nervous about it. I'm so fearful of being seen as an imposter that then I don't do anything. And it just grows and grows and gets bigger and bigger in my mind. And this can show up in a lot of different ways too. Like maybe if it's in your physical fitness, you're like, I'll start on Monday. And then on Monday, you're like, I'm just too tired. I'll start next Monday. So we keep pushing it down the road. Or making a doctor's appointment. You're like, I don't have time this month, so I'll make it next month. And we just keep pushing it back. And procrastination never really solves it. So procrastination as imposter syndrome can be one of the four main symptoms that show up for us when we don't have that self-belief. So if you identified with any of those, if you feel like imposter syndrome pops up for you from time to time, what can you do to get out of that imposter syndrome feeling? How can you act more like the 60% of men, or sorry, act more like the men who apply for the job when they're only 60% qualified? How can we get out of this doubt of ourselves and step into a more confident person who believes in her gifts, who believes in her tenacity, who believes that she can learn along the way, who really does trust herself to make good, smart choices that will benefit her, her family, and her community. There are a few different things that we can do. And I'm going to pull again from this article from this list, Cashin, as well as my own friends from The Restoration Project with a few different things that you can try out, a few strategies and actions that you can take if you're someone who really wants to have your own self-belief, self-trust, and self-confidence grow not only in February, but throughout the whole year of 2024. So my friends over at The Restoration Project, shout out to Lindsay, Brooke, and Sarah. They are just such great resources in the personal and professional development space. And you can find them at the-restorationproject.com. But in particular, they had a blog that went out in June 2023 called Enhancing Our Confidence, and it just really stuck with me. And I'm going to pull from their article and share a couple of key tips. But the founder of the Restoration Project, Lindsay Leahy, wrote, at its core, confidence is all about trust. The feeling or belief that one can rely on someone or something. It's knowing who you are, owning who you're not, and choosing to embrace all of it. Remember, confidence is often quiet while insecurities are loud. 
So in this article, she goes into explaining that we need to make some time, take some space to really dig in and explore who we are by asking and answering questions and really getting self-aware. And growing this self-awareness is going to be the first step that allows us to build that trust, to cultivate that confidence, and ultimately believe in ourselves to take action. So if you'd like to get out a paper and a pen or type it out in your notes app, here are a few key questions that Lindsay and her team at The Restoration Project encourage you to reflect on, whether in a journal or meditation or just thinking through it briefly, but think through the following concepts. Number one, write out a few things that you like about yourself. And this can feel super, super uncomfortable because it's so easy for us to identify the things that we don't like, right? But when we are forced to compliment ourselves, when we're forced to address our strengths, when we are forced to accept our gifts, that can feel a little bit uncomfortable because as like particularly if you're a Midwest listener, we are encouraged to be humble, to be kind, to downplay those aspects of ourselves. But in order to become self-aware and trust and believe, we need to be able to say, yes, this is what I'm strong in. This is what I'm qualified in. This is what I can do. I'm owning it. So in your journal or on a scratch piece of paper, Write down at least six things that you like about yourself. Okay, now let's go a step deeper. What are some things that come naturally to you more so than others? And if you need a little guidance in that, like ask yourself, what positive feedback do you consistently get that rings true to you? Where do you feel really confident in your ability to contribute to society? What are some of the things that you know that you're really good at? And this can really vary from the workplace. Like maybe you're really good at having hard conversations. Maybe you're super great at spreadsheets. Or maybe it's something that you're good at in your personal side of life. Maybe you are great at baking sourdough bread. Maybe you are wonderful when it comes to um, babysitting. And the neighbors come to you all the time because you're just so skilled with children. But you can be best at a variety of things in a variety of different settings. We all have unique gifts and talents that sometimes don't come through to our conscious level because they just seem supernatural. So make sure that you're really reflecting on the things that you have honed as a skill, like intentionally, and also some of those gifts and talents and strengths that seem to be like second nature. All right, next thing to think about. What is something that drains your energy? Oof, that's pretty tough. Write down what's difficult for you. What are some of those areas where you might be weak? Okay, and there's nothing wrong with that. We all have strengths and weaknesses, but it's in, again, this intentional time and space that we're building to really grow our awareness of ourselves that allows us to trust where we are skilled, gifted, and can go forward. And we also trust ourselves more when we accept and acknowledge that which we aren't. 
And it allows us to say, that's not something I want to own. That's not something I want to pursue. So I'm going to let it be. And I trust that that is not for me. So it's equally as important to be able to identify those things that we're great at as it is to identify those things that we are not so great at. So we know what to pursue and what not to. Because in truth, we might have something that we are so good at, but it doesn't light us up. It might drain us. So it's really important to say to those things in particular, yes, I am such a great writer, but I hate the entire process of it. And so then you know the next time somebody says, hey, can you write this up for me? You're like, could I? Yes. Am I available for it? No, because my energy is going to be drained. And so you can really start to itemize and identify and be aware of where you want to grow as you go. So I really love this strategy from our friends at The Restoration Project because it's really quick and simple. I mean, you can spend as much time on it as you want, but it's really straightforward. What do I like about myself? What do I know about myself? What comes to me naturally? What positive feedback am I consistently given? Where do I feel confident in my abilities? What am I best at? What am I weak at? What is difficult for me? What drains my energy? And that is really a first step in self-awareness so that we can grow in our confidence and in our self-belief. Some other things you might want to do is as you grow in this confidence, is build a support network. So find people who have similar common interests as you and put yourselves in the room. I know that when I was building MKM, a lot of my personal connections at that time, there weren't a lot of other people like me who were building a business. There weren't, particularly there weren't a lot of women like me who were building businesses from home. There was a lot of men in my life I knew who had started a business. A lot of them were in the trades, and it just didn't really resonate with what I was building. And it wasn't until I found a community of women in um, a larger area, like an hour's drive away from me, that I could really start to identify as an entrepreneur and small business owner. And hearing them talk about some of the struggles that they were going through or the growth opportunities that they were going through, it really helped guide me and it helped me feel connected. And it allowed me to feel not so alone because I thought for a long time that maybe I was the only person who didn't understand how to connect your email service to your social media, or I didn't understand how to pursue growing a team. But by having a supportive network of people who were going where I wanted to go that could mentor me, that we could give each other peer-to-peer advice. That helped me feel connected and more trusting and confident that I was walking the right path. Another thing you can do as you are building this concept of self-belief is embrace imperfection. We are never going to do things perfectly, right? I know from a lot of my past podcasts, you've heard areas where I failed. There's even a whole episode from September 2023 that I'll link in the show notes that are three big ways that I failed last year. But it's in this imperfection in our story that we can find the the common ground to connect with others. It's where we can learn our best lessons and we can make different changes going forward. And embracing that imperfection in advance can even be a gift that we give ourselves because it's allowing us to say, you know what, I'm not going to be 
falling into the trap of imposter syndrome by thinking everything needs to be perfect before I release it. I'm not going to fall into that four P's of imposter syndrome by being paralyzed to go forward if I make a mistake. I'm going to give myself the grace of knowing not if, but when I make a mistake, that I'll learn a great lesson that I'll be able to flip for the positive down the road. And another thing you can do to really help set yourself up for this sense of trust and belief in overcoming the imposter syndrome that can get in the way is setting realistic goals. So I know, for example, last year I set a really, really ambitious goal for my business savings account. And I really had not really great data to go off of um, because I was like, not doing a great job of keeping up with my books. I'm just going to be straightforward, embrace imperfection, right? Um, So I was, when I set out to make my 2023 goals, I was just kind of taking a shot in the dark. And I was like, okay, if I'm making X amount of dollars, then I can probably put away Y amount into my business savings. But I wasn't using realistic data to set goals. I was just taking a shot in the dark. And so when I look back at what I was able to save, and now as I'm making goals for 2024, I can start from a place of knowing and I can say, realistically, this is what I can achieve. And I can even, if I want to like give myself motivation to continue with those savings goals, number one, I can make it a habit like we talked about back in January and do small amounts over time to flex that consistency muscle. And two, I can like knock it down a peg, right? It doesn't have to be the highest, most ambitious goal. If I want to build motivation and momentum, then maybe I want to make that goal a little lower so I can celebrate it, so I can taste the sweet success that makes me want to keep going and really give myself a more achievable goal that I can later bump up instead of making something so lofty that there's no way I can get there. So another way to really build trust in ourselves and grow that self-confidence and self-belief is by giving ourselves goals that are realistic. And if you're somebody who hasn't set 2024 goals yet, that's okay. I'm really embracing this idea of like setting my goals in spring, which is like the natural seasonal cycle of when things are fresh and new. And so I'm going to write my goals in March and you can join me if you want. But all of those are really great options for beginning and kickstarting this journey of self-trust and self-belief. And next week, I'm going to have my friend Coach Kaya on the podcast, and we're going to talk more about this concept of self-belief and the journey to get there. But as she says in next week's interview that really hit home with me and something I identify with as well, is that there's a lot of theory here about how all the ways we can grow confidence, right? All the ways we can believe in ourselves. But it's through taking messy action and getting started that you actually start to grow that belief and that confidence. It's not a matter of reading all the books, listening to all the podcasts, getting your mind right from the get-go and being 100% ready. Yes, you do have to do some of those things, but think like the men in the article earlier. When you feel like you're 60% there, that's when you jump. That's when you take action. That's when you get messy and get your hands dirty. You don't have to wait until you feel like you've exhausted all the research to take that first step. Take messy action. And when you take action, you're going to make mistakes, you're going to make successes, but ultimately you're going to trust yourself that you can do 
what you set out to. And over time, the more you take that messy action, the more you trust yourself and the more you get confident that you've got what it takes. All right. So for example, there was um, a social media marketing position that was advertised for a brand this past summer. And I was like, oh my gosh, that brand would just be so much fun to work with. And I know that I could do what they're looking for. And I was talking to the people behind the brand and I was like, I would really love to talk to you about this opportunity. And they're like, okay, well, we're having everybody who's interested fill out an application and submit this application of interest. And I was like, okay, I'll do that. And it had been a long time since I had had to fill out an application because up to that point, it was mostly like people would get my name or they'd see my marketing online and they'd just know going into it that they wanted to work with me instead of me really soliciting and selling myself on a cold open. And so I filled out or I reached the Google form where they were accepting applications for this brand. And it was not extensive, but it was like, it was pretty detailed. And so I had to enter like my experience and how long I had been doing social media marketing work. And I was like, okay, like six years. And they were like, do you have um, experience in working with the following softwares? And it was like, Yep, I have done a project management software. Yep, I have done an email marketing software. Yep, I have done a social media scheduling software. Yep, I have done a podcast platform software. Yep, I have done a customer relationship kind of software. I was like, oh my gosh, I've done a lot of these things. And then I had to go down further in the application and it was like, okay, do you have and do you have experience with um, podcasting? I'm like, well, I've had my own podcast and I've edited and I've marketed, yes. I have created freebies that I then marketed on social media that drove people to my my email list. Yes. And I had to like go through and itemize all of the different softwares, activities, tasks, and time. I know, and you guys are listening to me and you're like, duh, Molly, that's what it that's what an application or a resume is. But for somebody who hasn't done that in a long time, I was like, I had to take a step back by the time I filled that application out. I was like, holy shit, I know a lot of things. And it might sound super braggy. And like we talked about earlier, like we're encouraged as Midwestern women to stay super humble and not really be too flashy with our skills and talents. But I think that moment of filling out that application is something that was really pivotal for me in believing and trusting in myself and my growth as a marketer. Because up to that point, I would really consistently hear a thought in my head that was like, well, I'm just posting on Facebook, or it only takes me a half an hour to design a post, or I'm only blah, blah, blah. But when I stacked up all of those tasks, all of the skills that were required to complete those tasks, all of the time that I invested into learning those skills that helped me get those tasks all of those results that those tasks allowed me to accomplish for myself and my clients, I was like, damn it, I'm undercharging. (laughs) I was like, really, I was like, I have been selling myself short. I've been feeling like an imposter for a long time when in actuality, I have a lot of experience in this industry and I have been discounting myself. I have been letting imposter syndrome define me when this whole time I have had what it takes all along. 
And that shook me to my foundation. I have not thought about pricing a package for a potential client. I have not thought about a proposal in the same way before that experience that I have since that experience. And it has gone a long way in helping me trust that I have what it takes and believing that I can go bigger as I look ahead. So if you think, I don't, I feel like a buzz of energy and I hope you can hear that in my voice. Like if you think that you don't have enough, sit down and fill out your resume. <laughs> Go through those questions that I asked earlier in the, um, in the episode from my friends at the Restoration Project. And when you write it all down on paper, I promise you're going to shock the shit out of yourself by just how qualified and how experienced you are. Okay, guys, if you want to read through any of those articles yourself, head over to the show notes or to my blog, mollyknuthmedia.com slash blog, and I will link directly to the article about imposter syndrome from the entrepreneur publication, from uh, the LinkedIn publication to the article from my friends over at The Restoration Project. Uh, Next week, we're going to have the incredible coach Kaya on, and I'm linking a couple of her episodes, particularly about confidence in the show notes of today's episode too. And before we leave, our MKM book club book for February is on this concept of self-belief. And it's not necessarily one you might have guessed I would pick as our book club selection because it's not about like feeling empowered or anything like that. It's really about tuning out the outside noise and defining happiness and satisfaction for yourself, which is another component of self-confidence, self-trust, and self-belief. So for February, we are reading The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, A Counterintuitive Approach to Living a Good Life by Mark Manson. And so if you want to read this title together, it's a pretty, I know I read it like five years ago, but I'm going to revisit it. It's less than 200 pages. It's a pretty quick read. Similar to our January book club selection, it's not super stuffy or overly um, dense in the material. It's really a good personal and professional read that like makes you laugh at the same time as it makes you think. So if you want to get in on the February MKM book club, again, it's The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, A Counterintuitive Approach to Living a Good Life by Mark Manson, you can head over to mkm.myflowdesk.com slash MKM February book club. I know that's kind of long, so you can also just go over to the show notes of this episode and click there. But get on the book club list and then throughout the month, I'll send a couple of check-ins and then at the end of the month on the last Wednesday, we have a Zoom call and then we chat about what we thought. So it's super casual, super low investment. Uh, You just have to go secure a copy of the book either from Amazon, your local library, Audible, wherever you go to get books and read it throughout the month and then we'll talk about it at the end. But the goal of February here at MKM is to really hone our self-belief flex our self-confidence muscle, and trust ourselves as women, as business owners, and as people who make an impact in our communities. Now, if you have any tips for doing any of that, you can definitely reach out to me at mollyknuth underscore MKM over on Facebook or Instagram. And make sure you tune into the rest of the episodes this month here at The Found Podcast as we welcome in experts and continue the conversation about believing in ourselves. Thank you so much for being here this week, friend, and I'll be back soon with another episode of The Found Podcast. 
Hey friend, thank you so much for listening in to The Found Podcast. If you loved what you heard in today's episode, please head over to The Found Podcast on iTunes or Spotify and leave us a review. It means so much to know how you think about these episodes where I pour out my heart or to know what strategies you found most effective from our guest experts. While you're there, you can also check out that library of 100 plus episodes of stories of female founders and successful strategies for getting found in your business. Thank you again for being here this week and I'll be back with even more in next week's episode.